Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by GetX. GetX features a full line of dial-in markers, burnout guard, and paint protection, and has recently introduced their brand new racetrack-approved hand sanitizer. Find all your GetX products at your favorite retailer, Jegs, Summit, etc., for your dial-in, paint protection, and now personal germ protection needs. GetX has you covered. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 50. It's the third week of July 2020, but this is the big 5-0. Um, I have to be honest, you know, when I started this podcast over a year and a half ago, I was really trying hard to give you 50 good minutes for you that first week. And now here we are over 18 months later, and we are crushing episode number 50. So thank you to everyone who has listened since day one, to every one of our new listeners, and to everyone who's come on the show to make it the very best podcast on the planet, covering top dragster and top sportsman drag racing. That being said, if you have comments concerns, curse words, etc. You better get it in now before we get another 50 eps in. Um, and you know exactly how to do that. You know, you can go on Facebook and message or uh, send direct messages to me. You can get in on Twitter and you can also hit the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. So any way you want to get down for the next 50, just let me know on that one. Uh, but uh, guys, girls, we went back to racing on a national stage this week, and it got me in a mood, man. Like it got me the Ric Flair woo action going on. Now we were not jet plane flying, Rick. Uh, we just cruised across town and went to the Berg, the Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, but uh, it was really good stuff. And uh, excited to bring you a little bit of that action this week. Um, but I will tell you this. I have two of some of the best ever guests coming on the stage uh, this this uh, this episode. First of all, Zach Sackman. He is a top dragster standout. One of the up-and-coming young guns of our top dragster world. And then also Dan Parker, the world's fastest blind man. And you heard that correctly. He is the world's fastest blind man. I cannot wait to get those two on so let's get to it get to doing whatever it is that you do while you're listening to the show make your commute to work clean the shop work on that old heap but metaphorically speaking get your helmet on get strapped in because here we go all right let's get them hot let's make a pass let's put this thing in the water box guys girls as you know this show is all about highlighting the best of the best in our sport and you know also how we can continue to make the sport just a little bit better as we go along. Um, and you know, I even like to ask each one of our guests their opinion on what could turn the screws on what we currently have to how to make it a little bit better each week. And uh, I like getting that feedback. I know you do as well. But I will tell you this. I was talking with a former guest of the show. Um, actually, he was on show number four, Craig Sullivan. Check that episode out if you haven't already. Uh, we'll, we'll probably like you to have him on again at some point. But uh, Craig, I will tell you this, is, is really good about a couple of things. One, he is really good about being creative and how to bring new sponsors to drag racing. That's important. Um, and then also what he's really good at is being a great role model for kids and getting them interested in drag racing. So honestly, outside of John Force, Craig Sullivan is one of the best I've seen with kids every time they come by the trailer. So um, that is good stuff. And as I was talking to him, he made a comment to me, which I thought was a very cool idea and one that I think could easily be adopted by all the 
all of us, which is simply this. Have a broken parts box ready to go in the trailer um, that you can pull out, sign, and give to a kid that stops by. Um, it's kind of like that fouled-off baseball that you caught when you were a kid that you still have in your box somewhere in your attic. You know, we all have broken parts that aren't being useful at all. Um, I certainly do. Um, I break more parts than necessary from time to time. Um, and we all can have a Sharpie ready and tucked into that box. So when a kid rolls by, you can stop him or her and give them a souvenir to take home, something they will really, really cherish. Uh, and in our world where every dollar is fought for, um, we have this opportunity uh, to potentially get new fans, young fans. And it seemed like a very smart, very cheap way to build the next generation of drag racing fans to me. It sounded good to me, and I promise you I'm always breaking something. So it is something that I will adopt moving forward. Uh, you know, along with putting kids in the car whenever I can and getting a picture with them behind the wheel, I'll tell you this. So last year I went to St. Louis uh, for a Midwest Pro Mod Series event, and my college buddy Chuck Tidwell brought his daughters. And I did exactly what I said I did earlier. I put them in the car. We took pictures of them, quote, unquote, driving, and they absolutely loved it. Um, so much so that uh, when I went back this year just to hang out and watch the show, Chuck told me that he literally couldn't tell his daughters that he was coming to the track without them because they would lose their minds. They loved it so much. And I'm not saying sitting in the Red Dragon was uh, the wave that turned the tide for those little girls, but they had a blast at the track and wanted to come back. Um, and that's what we all fell in love with, and that is very, very helpful to us as we go forward. All right, let's put this in the beams presented by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. On with us now. He finished number six in the NHRA National Top Dragster Points in 2018. He was a 2019 Top Dragster Jegs All-Star Qualifier, and he most recently won Top Dragster at the Indy Nationals last weekend. Welcome to the show, Zach Sackman. Zach, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it sounds like you're getting something to eat right now. Is that right? Yeah, I'm just sitting down having lunch on the way to Columbus okay. for a division race. All right, good. So you're going to try to back up this win from last weekend, huh? I'm going to try. That's the plan. Um, Hopefully with two. Yeah, that'd be good, right? There's uh, With the double? Yeah, with a division on the first day and then national event uh, on the week, Saturday and Sunday. I like it. Um, well, you, you just came off a really nice win here in Indy. Um, but let's, let's go way, way back. Um, talk to us about how you got started in racing, man. Um, I got started Well, I grew up going to the races with my parents and then my dad <clears throat> bought me and my brother junior dragsters when I was nine, I guess I raced junior dragsters till 2013. And then we made the jump into top dragster in 2015. And then the rest, I guess that's the rest is history. Yeah, you you went right to the top dragster stuff, huh? Yeah, we didn't we didn't do any super comp racing or nothing. We just went and got in the top dragster. And uh, what was a what was the decision making process like on that? Just because you wanted to go as fast as you possibly could, or uh, what was walk us through that uh, thought process a little bit? Well, basically, my dad was he's the one funding everything, so he didn't he doesn't care a whole lot for bracket racing, but he still wanted to go fast and bracket. Top dragsters more affordable than actual heads up racing. Right. So it's it's something he made the, the decision. Yeah. I mean, we may all we all made the decision, but that um, was what he liked to do. So. Yeah, it's a it's a good middle ground, right, between going uh, top fuel racing and and uh, super comp. Yeah. Yeah. Or alcohol racing. Right. And in between alcohol and super comp. Sure. Well, um, you've done it at a really high level, um, and tell us about this top dragster car that you drive. Um, it's a 2010 Spitzer with a a big block Chevy in it with with a roots blower on top and just a power glide transmission. And just goes and runs six tens at 230 mile an hour. Simple man, it's just simple. You just put a big block in it, blower, and and six tens, right? It's a, easy yep. to get that it's thing. Just, yeah, it, it's easy. Don't <laughs> don't have to do much maintenance on it or nothing. 
Uh, how long? Uh, how long of uh, wheelbase do you have on that thing? The car is two hundred seventy-two inch wheelbase. Okay, which is longer than your standard super comp car. Sure. Yeah. So that, that seems to be the kind of the right, um, or seemingly is kind of the right length for top dragster, especially when you're going uh, that speed and trying to make moves on the top end. Yeah. Um, A lot of people though now have they're getting longer super comp cars like 255 inch wheelbase cars yep um but uh you kind of you kind of built that thing to go top dragster racing so it, it makes it easy to do that right yeah we bought well we actually bought the car from james monroe who's a former top dragster racer that was very successful sure and so i mean it's it was a top dragster its whole life yep and and it's a 1471 is that uh is that correct yeah yeah, it's a 1471 blower. Yep. So, uh, and you've got some familiarity with that blower, at least a little help um, for uh, with some help with that blower, right? Tell us all about your crew and and who uh, helps you on race day. Um, mainly that on race day, it's my just my mom and dad that help, but I we get help from my brother and uh, guys on the Antron Brown's car. And also our sponsors, Hankstifers, Novak Electric, um, uh, B&B Concrete, Jim Evans with Rollo Competition Engines, uh-huh. and uh, Gemini Farms, Harmonic Graphics. I think that's it. I think I got them all. Yeah. Uh, well, you've, you've got a lot of help that way, and you've got some really high-level help, too, because uh, uh-huh. you, you mentioned Antron Brown. Um, how, do, how do you make that connection? Um, just my dad has been friends with uh, Mark Oswald for a long time, and when he started crew chiefing for Antron in, like, I think 2008 or 2009, we just became good friends, and we've been friends since. Yeah, I noticed Antron was was one of the first guys jumping up and down and and running and high fiving you in the well, I think it was high five, might have been fist bump. I don't know, it was social distance uh, celebration, whatever that was um, on Sunday when you got that win. So I thought that was pretty cool stuff to have um, that guy and and uh, in your corner for sure. And uh, that oh yeah, help, huh? that helps give you some confidence. Yeah, yeah it does. Knowing that he supports us. Yeah. Um, well, outside of uh, driving that that dragster at that speed, what what do you do for a living, man? What's uh, what uh, pays the bills nine to five? I work uh, I work in a chassis shop in Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's called Brando Speed. Okay. Well, I've I've got uh, two nephews that live in Cedar Rapids, so I'm I'm very familiar with uh, the city of five smells, is what they call it, um, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, very familiar with Cedar Rapids, and uh, and I'm not familiar with that chassis shop. Tell us a little bit about what uh, what all you do for the chassis shop, and what do you guys specialize in? Um, we do a little bit of everything. We do anywhere from race cars to I've rebuilt a couple <clears throat> Camaros, like with new quarter panels and new floors and all that, and then we build headers, pretty much. Anything in fabricating world on a car, we do. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's got to be fun. It's not the same thing over and over. Right? It's a little bit of everything. Yeah. 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 It makes it exciting. Yeah. That's knowing any different things every day. Well, um, that that makes perfect sense. But and you had a chance to get out of town um, to run the national at Indy and uh, walk uh-huh. us through that weekend a little bit. I mean, it was different, right? It was it was a lot different than what we're used to. It was a quicker show. Um, but uh, just talk us through what your feel was for the weekend. I mean, did you feel like early? You was like, man, we got a car that can do this? Or what, what were kind of some of the thoughts as you went through the weekend? I mean, going into qualifying, I didn't – the first qualifying run, because we haven't ran quarter mile since uh, Gainesville and – Gainesville's mine shaft there and coming here in the middle of the summer, it's going to be different. And just so having to decide what, what common pulley combination I wanted to run on our car. But after I decided that qualifying, I, I had two, I had good lights in qualifying. So I was fairly confident going in the first round, just the car, I was second guessing the car a little bit, but 
after after the race is over, I going to look back. I understand why the card ran like it did, and it, I was I had more con- I should have had more confidence in the car okay. than what I did. Because you were you were dead on seven in the final, so you must have figured it out at some point. Yeah, I, I think after first round, I more I started figuring it out because it ran way off. It ran off of what I thought in first round, and then I ran dead on in second round. Then third round, it slowed up a little bit more than what I thought, and then in the final, it stayed the same and it went dead on again. Oh, well, so. And you needed it against Danny in the final, right? Yeah, yeah. He had me on the reaction time, but I my car was better than his. Yeah. So, no, that's a it's a heck of a win against a heck of a competitor. Um, oh and, yeah. And so it, it's good to kind of get this uh, streak started off with that, right? I mean, you got you got to feel good about going into Columbus after having you know that that perfect warm up. Yeah, I do, but I also don't want to get ahead of myself either. Because I've done that before, and it doesn't turn out very good for me. Well, there's no easy outs, right? There's no easy no, outs in top drag No, no, no. Like my four rounds on Saturday, every every person I faced was a tough. It was going to be a tough round, and it what they were. Yep. Well, um, one thing I always like to ask everybody who um, comes on the show, and you've got a unique perspective. I mean, you've been around it a long time, uh, but you're also um, a fairly young guy. Of course, everybody seems young to me these days, but uh, uh, what what's one thing, Zach, that you think we could do in our sport to, to make it better, even just a little bit better? That's a tough question. Um, I don't know. I, as far as NHRA racing goes, I was the only thing you could make they can make the payouts a little higher is being the payouts to me have been the same for the past five years and then up until now the economy's getting better so people are making more money so they can afford to spend spend more in sponsorship so they could so to me it can NHRA can make the payouts a little higher but sure within to offset some of the costs that it costs to go racing just like any other racing. Yeah. It's not or, cheap to do this, right? I mean, you no, you, no, you made it sound simple. Uh, we just put a dragster and a big block Chevy and a power glide in, but well, uh, <laughs> we all know that is not the, uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, nothing's cheap in this world, right? Yeah. The cost of getting that stuff was expensive, but the cost of maintaining it's a little cheaper yeah. than what. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Well, Zach, I appreciate you getting on here with us today. I know you're in the middle of traveling, so uh, thanks for taking time out of your day. We wish you well this weekend. Go get them, and um, you know, come back and see us when you when you get another W and a trophy. No, I, hopefully, hopefully, it's not too far from now. Hopefully, right. soon, I guess. Right. Keep it rolling, huh? Keep it rolling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on, and good luck to you. Guys, girls, that was your Indy National Top Dragster winner, Zach Sackman. Thanks for having me, Rex. Today's Half-Track Report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. And guys, girls, this was a big week for drag racing. The NHRA got back on the national stage again this weekend, be it a limited crowd, but at least the pros were racing at the Indy Nationals in Brownsburg, Indiana this week. Um, and this was my favorite national event class schedule ever, um, outside of the fact that they could have thrown in the pro mods to make it just a little bit better, but the schedule was great. It was the pro classes. It was Top Fuel, Funny Car, Pro Stock, and Pro Stock Bike. And then our classes, Top Dragster, Top Sportsman, and then Jegs Super Quick. And for those of you that aren't, totally familiar with Jeg super quick it's an eighth mile race it is a 450 minimum dial so um you know that it makes it for a quick race but it's not quite top dragster and top sportsman levels as we see them today but it has certainly been a breeding ground for a lot of the folks that you currently see especially in division three running top dragster and top sportsman that's a 32 car qualified field and i you know um i made a prediction last week but um about that and we'll talk that a little bit but but it was a quick show um the whole thing was quick so we had the four pro classes then we had three 
uh, very quick classes with what we do. Um, and it was done on all day Saturday and it was done by five o'clock when the rains came in and then it started back up on Sunday and was done by about two o'clock. So it was a very quick show. Um, but it was a great show from that standpoint. And I'll know I'll be outvoted on this one, but I am a big fan of that program. Just add the pro mods for me. Thank you very much. But on the top dragster side in that national event, there were 15 cars that showed up. And I'm assuming that a lot of people were a little nervous about the 621 bump at the U.S. Nationals last year. But for the 15 that showed up and 14 that qualified, um, it was a great show. So there was one car driven by Ashley Johnson and crew chief by her father, Brian Tidrick, who got a speeding ticket. And Brian... My man, who I absolutely love, this dude. He is always for laying the wood on every single pass. I mean, this man wants all the MPHs every single time out. Essentially, he's a hog. I mean, he's very, very greedy. He wants them all to himself. And he got them. He got them when Ashley went 596 on her first pass of the day and got herself booted from competition. My man. Someone needs to put some Xanax in his coffee or something to calm that dude down. But a 596, it is just amazing power of that Egan chassis, blown Hemi Brian has tuned up. Um, so, my man, slow that thing down and go get him next time and stay away from the speeding tickets. We need Ashley lining up in first round, bro. Um, but there were 14 cars left that put on an absolute show for the fans. Um, and I watched the stands. And no one left. Um, now, capacity was about 20%, but the fans didn't go away when Top Dragster and Top Sportsman stepped up, which was great for our classes, I thought. But out of the 14 that did uh, keep it within the rule books, your number one qualifier was Brian Keller. He ran a 612 with a 1 at 237 miles an hour. And uh, the winner, you heard him here earlier, Zach Sackman over the man with the number one on his hood scoop. Danny Nelson. Zach is dead on seven on his 620 dial. And Mr. Nelson might have been, might have given the stripe back just a little bit because his his car and him as a driver were deadly uh, that weekend. So um, congrats to Zach Sackman for getting his win in top dragster. And on the top sportsman side, there were 16 cars. 15 of them qualified faster than 685. So it was a stout field. Uh, number one qualifier, no uh, surprise there, Lester Johnson from Cynthiana, Kentucky. He runs a 618 at 234 miles an hour. And it, it's getting to be old hat for Lester at this point. I mean, he's got that twin turbo ComSync Excalibur combo tuned up and moving. Um, but your winner was John Stelt over Chris Osborne. He's got that Pack Springs entry in the final. Uh, Stelt with the reaction time advantage and keeps advantage on the top end for the win. So congrats to all those folks who came out and got it done in front of a national event, uh, you know, viewing party this weekend. Um, on the super quick side, and we don't talk about this much, but I think it's important to talk about. Your number one qualifier was Michael Brown. It's a 450 index. He qualified number one with a 450. Five, 50 and a five. Uh, so he was five thou over the minimum dial. And I told you last week uh, that I thought the bump was going to be in the high 50s on this one. I had it totally wrong. I totally screwed up. For that 32 car field and 42 cars that showed up, the bump was 461. So uh, yeah, totally missed that one uh, by about three huns. So shame on me. I'll figure that one out next time. But I would say this, shout out to Kyle and Andy Camp, who attempted to make the field as the only door car in the field. Obviously, going 450s consistently for this series is easier in a dragster instead of having to shut the doors. Um, and, you know, they would have gotten it done. I think they might have had a converter issue, but uh, they will certainly be back. So good luck to the camps uh, getting it done and getting back in there. But your winner was Tony Pranger over Brian Gardner in the final. Tony was 009. On, on the tree to Brian's 18. And then he took 1,000 the stripe for win for the win. Essentially, it was 1,000 at the stripe there. It was four inches at 155 miles an hour. So what an absolutely great drag race. And congrats to Tony Pranger for winning that one. So good job to all those guys uh, for representing in the national event well. 
Also, the Midwest Drag Racing Series in Ferris, Texas got done. It was hot down there, so they went at night, which I'm a huge fan of. The top sportsman side had 14 cars in the hot weather down there. You know, they have a 32-car field as long as you can run 499. Um, your number one qualifier was um, Mr. Lewis. He ran 425 um, at 171 miles an hour, and your winner was Kelvin Brown over Kirk Pepinge in the final. Uh, you know, and, and this is the nice stuff about our classes. So Kelvin Brown qualifies 12th. Kirk qualifies number 10. They both meet in the final and had a great race in the final. On the top dragster side, there were 16 cars. Uh, Mr. Strasburg was number one going 3.785 seconds at 194 miles an hour for the number one spot. That is absolutely moving. But your winner was Steve McDermott over John Biaggi. Steve was on fire all weekend. I mean, he's got that orange dragster tuned up and was absolutely deadly. So congrats to everybody down there in the Midwest Drag Racing Series. Next week, we'll have your NHRA Division III uh, event coverage from Columbus, Ohio. There's a double event there. There's a Division III event and then the JEG Sports Nationals. And then also the NHRA Division Seven double out there in Sonoma. So we'll have that for you next week. Whoa, let's get out of the groove for just one minute and talk a good thing that the Rona has accomplished in this disaster of a year, which is 2020. Um, And that is that the Rona actually helped someone reset the record for the fastest ever cannonball run time in history. And we just got news that the Hot Rod Power Tour and Drag Week has been canceled for 2020. But the one thing that the Rona couldn't ruin was the Cannonball Run this year. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Cannonball Run, you probably remember the movie of the same name that was released in 1981 with Burt Reynolds, his mustache, and all that crew. Um, But the traditional starting point is what is called the Red Ball Garage on East 31st Street in Manhattan. And the finish line is the Portofino Hotel in Redondo Beach, California. It's approximately 2,800 miles, depending on your route. And it has all kinds of specific rules and way that timing must be kept so that it's official. So you cannot cheat it. But it's on your own. But you've got to follow these rules so that it could be kept and and keep the official time. And the record for making this 2,800-mile trip was 27 hours and 25 minutes, last officially completed in 2013. And all these dudes use an incredible amount of tech planning and cash to make that happen. We're talking planes that are following the car, looking out for cops. We're talking about pre-runners to try to uh, dodge the police and and have them, you know, busy so that these guys can go flying down the highway. It's a coordinated and sophisticated effort. But the biggest problem has always been traffic. Well, guess what? The Rona has dissipated. It got rid of all the traffic. So, Uh, According to Ed Bullion, who is a former record holder of the Cannonball Run and considered the voice of the Cannonball, said this, Consider that it took six years and dozens of extremely well-prepared attempts for anyone to beat his record of 28 hours and 50 minutes. In the span of five weeks, it was just beaten seven times. So (laughs) people were waiting seven years for this opportunity and took advantage of it. So everyone was on board with abusing this privilege of vacant highways. And everyone who wanted this was getting down while the rest of us were in quarantine. So most of these dudes use highly modified Mercedes and Audis that have monstrous fuel tanks and get down the road at 150 miles an hour for several hours at a time. But then came Mr. Fred Ashmore. Fred wasn't going to mess up his daily driver for this trip. Oh, no. Fred did what any smart spring breaker does and gets on down to the local Avis and rents a Mustang GT for the week. He then rips out all the interior, puts fuel tanks everywhere so that he only has to make one stop across the country, one refueling. 
His buddy meets him somewhere in Oklahoma within an industrial fuel rig and fills him up so he can get that rented mule back on the highway and break the record. Fred Ashmore says he averaged 108 miles per hour on his trip that took him 25 hours in 55 minutes to set the new record. Fred was quoted at the finish as saying, nothing parties like a rental. Actually, that, that's not true. I'm just hopeful that that's what he said. Um, but congrats to him for, for setting this new record in the Rona era. Uh, but now that traffic levels are starting to get back to normal levels, breaking the record may not be possible again, according to the cannonball experts. So uh, congrats to Mr. Fred Ashmore and his rented Mustang. Uh, but, you know, that being said, um, I don't think it can be broken um, at any time ever again, this cannonball run record. Um, but if anyone out there wants to try, give me a call. All right, as we hit the mile per hour cone, on with us now is your 2005 ADRL Pro Nitrous Champion. He is most recently seen on Jay Leno's Garage, and he is the world's fastest blind man. Please welcome to the show, Dan Parker. Dan, how are you today, my man? I'm doing great. How about you? I can't complain. I cannot complain. Um, and, Dan, we always, you know, when I usually when I have guests on, I ask them when the first time they made a track, uh, passed down the track. And, you know, I get some pretty uh, stock answers about, hey, I was in high school or I was a little bit younger than that. But you have a story about making a pass down the racetrack that I don't think anybody can beat. You want to tell our listeners about that? <laughs> yes, I have two I have two stories, one pre-birth and post-birth. Uh, my dad's a drag racer. He's 76, still drag races today. So about when my mother was eight months pregnant with me, she drove her Chevelle to the racetrack and brought some food for a lunch, a little picnic lunch. She starts setting up in her trunk. And my dad said, don't, don't do that. I'm going to race your car, too. So he raced two cars. So he got down to him and himself, and the local drag strip said they weren't going to pay the money unless both cars went down the track. So he put mom in her Chevelle, and she won. Of course, you know, I don't know if he let her win or not, but, you know, because he was getting both money, you know, both purses anyway. But uh, so she won a drag race eight months pregnant with me. That would probably be in late May, June of 1970, so it would have been hot too. And then the first time I went down the drag strip, uh, when I was eight years old, the local motorcycle club had an all-motorcycle race at Fink City Drag Strip, and they had a minibike class. Dad entered me in the minibike class, and I run it up and run it up two more times at other events, uh, the same event, but two more years. And ironically, the same guy won all three events. He's a, he's a few years older than me, and his dad owned a motorcycle shop. We're still friends today. Okay. Yeah, I I think we're going to have to retire that question about when was the earliest anybody made a pass because we've certainly got a winner at this point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you, I mean, that was early going. It was in your blood. Um, you went to the motorcycles. When when was your first race car, though, like as you moved to the cars and some point? Yeah, after I graduated high school, um, Dad wanted to start me off slow, and we bought a 73 Nova hatchback, factory 350 automatic car, actually from a girl that I went to high school with, and it was uh, burnt orange with a white vinyl top. I would drive it to Fink City. It was so slow. It didn't even have pause traction. I put a slick on the right rear, and it run like 1050s, 1030s, and 8th. And then Dad just progressed me a tenth at a time until I got going faster. And then in my 20s, I started driving things faster and faster. In 1997, I got the opportunity to drive for a, a pro-mod car for local uh, legend Ellis Miller. Okay, sure. Um, and that progressed to uh, your world championship uh, in the ADRL in 2005, correct? Yes. I drove for Ellis 1997, floated around a little bit. 1999, I started driving for Bill George and drove for him uh, all the years. And we won the 2005 ADRL Pro Nitrous World Championship. Uh, we were the first side-by-side three-second pass in Pro Nitrous history. In 08, we run it up to Harper in Valdosta, the ADRL race. Uh, he went in 92, and I went in 99, so that was the first three-second side-by-side pass. And then uh, March 31st, 2012, had just a really bad day at the office, had a really bad wreck. Yeah, uh, do you want to tell us just a little bit about that um, and, uh, 
what all transpired after the wreck? Yes, so we were testing new Fulton 864 5.3. Um, just the day went great. First pass, real soft, 101 60 foot, come back around and uh, zipped it up a little bit. Had our career best 0.947 60 foot on one system. And 2 to 330, I turned on the second kit two seconds out, went like 262 to 330. Um, so the next pass, we decided to so test mode, we don't try to enter the race. He's having a quick eight race, you know, bowlers and nitrous. Um, so my first full pass, something went bad wrong, right eighth mile mark. I went 407-175. I was already in trouble when I went through the stripe. Uh, car made a hard right turn from the left lane, hit a poured concrete wall, tore a chunk out of the wall, and went to tumbling, uh, broke the car in half. There was nothing left forward of my feet, no motor, transmission, dash bar, firewall, anything. And I shouldn't have lived. They tried to life flight me out of there. They there was a storm in between the University of Alabama Hospital and the drag strips. So they had to put me in ambulance for the forty five minute ride while Jennifer, my girlfriend at the time now fiance, she rode shotgun. I was in such bad shape. They called ahead and had ambulance meet or my ambulance on the side of the highway, so another EMT good in my ambulance to help my EMT keep me alive we got the UAB uh, such bad shape uh, they induced me into a coma to address other injuries my whole right arm was completely destroyed broke ribs collapsed lung um, crushed vertebrae in my lower back chip on my neck numerous stitches from, you know stuff flying around and uh, I woke two weeks later I induced coma to find out that I'm 100% blind for life it's like uh, a, a, a lot of, you know, worst nightmares, I think, for a lot of us. Um, we take, obviously I do as well, we take our eyesight for granted and, you know, don't expect that to be an issue. And, and you lost that in a in a blink of an eye, um, so to speak. And uh, that had to be incredibly tough, incredibly tough from yeah. your standpoint. Yeah, it was. You know, as a race car driver, we never want to admit it. But, you know, we know what we're doing is dangerous. I always accepted the fact that I might come home beaten up or in a box. But, you know, of course, I never imagined I'd come home blind. I never heard of such a thing. So the first six months was really tough. My right arm was stuck straight from all the reconstructive surgeries. Um, and, you know, I went in deep depression. I lost everything. I had a business. I owned Parker Chassis. I built race cars for a living. Um, loved just all facets of metal shaping, metal work. And, you know, so I lost not only my sport, but I lost my way of income, my my complete direction. And so I was on the verge of suicide. And uh, one night I had a dream that I could race again. And that, 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 that one dream literally saved my life. It gave me a purpose. I was within about a week of about to tell everybody to cash in my own check. And, uh, it, you know, it, it changed my whole life. And and that dream was was what talk talk to us a little bit about that dream that you said I mean uh, saved your life yeah yeah briefly uh my brother had always told me a story about four guys from France that built a motorcycle they took it apart flew to the United States drove to Bonneville put it together as a 50 cc bike they each got a record with without sidecar with without fairings and so I went to bed thinking about my brother I guess that story sort of back in my mind and my mother. Uh, Chris had passed away in 2009. My mother passed away just six months before my wreck. And I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning just as clear as bell and had a dream that I could race again. I could become the first blind man to race the Bonneville Salt Flats. I never went back to sleep that night. When Jennifer woke up, I told her, I said, I know what I'm going to do. You know, I told her she said, okay. And um, I tell everybody jokingly that, you know, we always have heard the quote that went over like a fart in church well when you tell your friends and family that you know six months from a wreck that you that about killed you that you're gonna go back to racing uh that really doesn't go over too well and so but i'm hard-headed you know and i um i knew i had a this was my purpose you know the, it was just clear as bell i knew i had to do it so with some help with some really good friends sponsors 10 months later august 2013 i became the First blind man to race the Bonneville Salt Flats. I returned in 14 and set my official FIM class record with no exemptions for blindness. 
as I'm the, still to date the only blind man in the world that's ever raced with no human assistance. Um, a friend of mine, Patrick Johnson, an engineer at Boeing Phantom Works, built me a guidance system that gives me audible feedback so I know how to stay on course. So from the time, you know, the chase vehicle tells me the course is clear, no one talks to me, no one helped me, nothing until I went through the finish line and the guidance system automatically shut off the motorcycle. The chase vehicle picked me up and got me off course. So uh, my official class record is 62.05 miles an hour. That's for the 51 to 85 cc two-stroke single-cylinder cycle car, which is a three-wheeler class. And um, I built the three-wheeler when I first uh, approached the Bub Motorcycle Speed Trials. told them what I wanted to do. They told me they wouldn't even consider allowing me to run unless I built a three-wheeler to take balance out of the equation. Okay. And I had the motorcycle 75% finished before I even actually had official permission I was going to be able to race. That's incredibly impressive, uh, Dan. I mean, obviously, um, but uh, you weren't done there. You said, "No, we're not. We're not going to stop with the motorcycle record. We're gonna we're gonna go back to what we do, which is get getting that door car." Yeah, I, um, I knew I had to go to school, so I took nine months. I spent at Louisiana Center for the Blind for you know training, uh, cane travel, you know home stuff they teach a wood shop not necessarily as an employment skill as a confidence builder so when i got home from lcb i graduated march 31st of 15 exactly three years it'd been in the back of my mind but i started you know thinking about the overall blind land speed record a blind man in england mike newman has been 200.9 miles an hour of course with human assistance and so that's back in my mind i started putting things together and i I bought a salvage flood Corvette that had no motor, no interior, with the purpose to become the world's fastest blind man. And it took me three years. Um, worked on it with some, you know, great people donating their time and, you know, fundraisers. And just I've done just everything imaginable from rifling off guns that somebody donated to me to, you know, anything possible to raise money for this Corvette. And I was luckily. Um, Back like September last year, I was approached by Jay Leno's Garage, the producer. They heard about my story, was interested. And so once I got a commitment from them, we were going to film, a sh- they wanted me to film an episode. That allowed me to bring on some marketing partners, uh, Strut Masters. Of course, we all know, that, you know how much sponsorship, you know, Chip Lofton provides for the NHRA people, which, you know, he's just a blessing to the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harbor Mechanical, you know, just list is on and on, ride tech, you know, coilovers, just everything, Fulton competition. And so that set out a mad thrash. The car was painted at that time. The cage was finished, but there was no, you know, tons of details. The motor wasn't built, wasn't even started, uh, you know, just amazing. So a lot of people moved mountains to get me there. My crew chief, Jimmy Boykin, here in Columbus, uh, Joy Mart, Joy Mart race cars, Little Art, Little Art race cars, and um, so when we left the February nineteenth of this year, the car had never been a quarter mile under its own power. It dynoed. We made five hundred seventy to the wheel with a four twenty seven natural aspirated LS three motor. Um, we hit Spaceport, and the first pass on Saturday. I was zigzagging like a drunk. The uh, the guidance system just wasn't quite doing what I needed to do. It was brand new. It was a totally different guidance system from the motorcycle because of the speeds involved. You know, from going, you sure. know, thinking you might run 75 miles an hour to 200 miles an hour. It's amazing. You know, right. the technology, you just got to step up. So me and the guys, we made a commitment. We weren't going back to the hotel. Long story short, Jimmy had become director of operations with the Spaceport America. And, uh, he told us, he said, hey, just stay here all night, do whatever you need to do. He said, I'll tell the emergency crew, you know, we have our own fire station, the ambulance, you know, to keep an eye on y'all. Well, 2.30 in the morning, with no lights on the runway, we're rental cars riding beside us. So Jimmy, my crew chief, could see out the passenger window. I went 116 miles an hour with no help. And we only had to stop. We had to stop there because Jimmy couldn't see anymore. <laughs> we were out running the rental cars. So the next morning, uh, first pass would be the, the TV show, filming for the TV show, Jay Leno's Garage. Okay. So Steve, Steve Strupp, 
my co-pilot during the day who owns the East Coast Time Association, um, I told Steve, I said, listen, we stayed up all night. I got something I can work with. Just have faith. Don't touch that steering wheel unless you fearfully life. You know, something's going bad wrong because the car has two steering wheels in it, which I designed while we're testing the new guidance system. If somebody, there's an emergency, somebody can take over. All the safety equipment on the driver's side is duplicated on the passenger side, head, containment seat. Okay. You know, wind and net, it's everything. And um, so the first, next pass, which was the first full pass ever in the car, I went 153.8 miles an hour, becoming the fastest blind man in America and the fastest blind man in the world with no human assistance. And I didn't veer a total of five feet over a mile and a half off the center, and that was with a 22-mile-an-hour crosswind. That's, that's amazing, Dan. I mean, that's that's absolutely amazing, and congrats to you for, for getting that done. So that, that set the record then, right? That set the record for the fastest blind man with no human assistance. I still have not wrote the overall Guinness Book of World Record, um, which is 200.9. You know, then we come home, on the way home, you know, we were just ecstatic, had good momentum, and then COVID hit, me just right between the legs, and, you know, uh, sadly, everything's come to a stop. You know, we're trying to bring on some more marketing partners, see if we can raise the money to, you know, bring the Guinness Book of World Record home to America, and that's where sort of where we're at right now. Well, the good news, Dan, I think with all that is you you create a little extra space on your car for marketing partners, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember Talladega Nights before I went blind in the fig newton and everything on the front windshield. So my whole front <laughs> windshield is uh, Strutmasters and the side windows of Harbin Mechanical. Uh, it is perforated, so my co-pilot can see out of it if it has to, but I tell everybody it doesn't do me any good, so we, we're going to take advantage of the marketing space. You know, I have to try to think outside the box to guarantee that my marketing partners get the best ROI possible. And uh, and people look at it, they just laugh, and you know, then they realize, well, it's true. It's not doing them any good, so you know, why not? You I know? love it. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's great stuff. Um, well, and the other way people can help, right, um, tell people what you do um, you know, with, with your blind machinist.com. Yeah. So I was a machinist my whole life. Six weeks after I went blind, I walked in the shop and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I got dressed that elephant in the room and I started running my mill machine. And so here at my house, I have all my machine shop equipment. And so I make and hand machine aluminum ink pens and I sell them on my website, theblindmachinist.com. And my Facebook, I have two Facebook pages, The Blind Machinist and also Tragedy to Triumph Racing. And so I just designed and prototyped my first 100% made in America pin by me. You know, when the, all this COVID stuff hit and everything's being imported, I'm really trying to stress made in America. So I have a pin that I'll be releasing in the next few weeks that's Every, every, there's seven machine parts, and every one of them is made 100% by me, 100% blind. I hear my shop, and so it has a bolt-action mechanism that I designed in my head and uh, to make the ink cartridge eject, and uh, the whole thing screws together. And so uh, hopefully I have a batch of them here in the next two or three weeks ready to sell. Yeah, and these, these are really high-end ink pens for... Uh, yeah. for some dumb bankers or, you know, CEOs or whatever people need to put on their desk for, um, you know, to uh, ruin their signing big deals or whatever it might be. But this is really yeah. high-end stuff, right, Dan? Yes, and then also um, right now my pens come with a box. It's laser engraved with my blind machinist, but also has my quote, you can make excuses or make it happen. And so for my new Made in America pens, I got something I worked on that's going to be totally different it's still going to have the quote in there, but it's going to be a really nice presentation piece, like you said, for somebody to keep it on their desk, uh, their you know their showcase, display case, et cetera, that is really going to set, set my stuff aside from everybody else's. Oh, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, all right, so everybody go to theblindmachinist.com and, uh, and support the, this great cause, buy a pen, uh, help Dan out a little bit so he can – set the the world record um in, for a blind man with or without assistance that that's great stuff mm -hmm. we are all rooting for you here um in fast brackets nation dan 
Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, that, thanks for coming on. Uh, we wish you well, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk with you soon whenever you you get that record, guys, girls. That yep. was the great Dan Parker. If you need him. All right, let's bring this thing back into the groove. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. There it is. It's time to pull the shoots on episode number 50, the big 5-0. And there it is, the Winlight and Gloria. Indeed, it's so good. Hey, we had a great week this week. Uh, first of all, we had no Roadster talk ever, so that's good. Um, we talked some honest-to-goodness national event level racing this week, so that's good. We talked some broken parts. We talked some new world records, and we talked rented Mustangs. And we talked to two really good dudes. First of all, Zach Sackman, top dragster standout. Thanks for coming on. And then Dan Parker, the world's fastest blind man. Amazing guy. Amazing. And thank you for Mark McDonald and Kevin Schweitzer for setting that up. Guys, girls, please like and share the Facebook and Twitter pages. I appreciate that when you do. Make comments if you don't mind. I really need some feedback to give me some better things to talk about than murder hornets and the aliens and the Rona. But uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. blind guest was incredible he he's an amazing guy i mean i and here's what i'm gonna do i'm not going to complain about anything for at least the rest of the week